So my name is John Hedberg. I serve at Parker Bible Church in Parker, Colorado. Um, I've been there since January 2016. I've been serving in youth ministry since 2004. Um, I was out in Kentucky for a while, um, about 11 years out there. So, and then interned at my home church. Um, I'm in the, the doctorate of ministry at TMS right now. So all my mentors are out there. In, you know, and I see them normally in suits and ties, and they're in uh, t-shirts and doing games. So it's it's a fun time to be at camp. Um, we've been coming to camp for a long time, but uh, here, uh, my testimony really it involves our topic this morning. Okay, so my parents divorced when I was two. Uh, my mom remarried. We went to Louisiana because the guy that she remarried was in the military, and he got stationed at Barksdale Air Force Base in Shreveport, Louisiana. And so we went there. My mom was a school teacher. And for one year, my mom taught at a private school. And it was my fifth grade school year. And part of our curriculum was to read God's word. And through reading God's word, through, through having that regular in my um, life, the Lord opened my eyes to the gospel, opened my eyes to the reality of Jesus and my sinfulness and his, his atonement on the cross that he died for me. And that um, I could trust in him to be forgiven and now have a relationship with God. Okay, so we're all tracking, right? Fifth grade. Parents divorce um, mom and stepdad at the end of my fifth grade year. Okay, talk about providence, right? God orchestrated the whole thing just so I could get to there. Sixth grade, uh, beginning of sixth grade, we move away and we never go to church again as a family. Never. So I was saved through reading God's word and, and, and uh, people sharing with me. But then from sixth grade until my junior year, when I could drive myself, I did not have God's word in my life. I had the, like a cultural Christianity. I had people telling me about Jesus. And so what happened is um, it was a very, very dark time. Because as we're going to see this morning, is that it's through God's word that he sanctifies us. It's through God's word that, we, that he draws us unto salvation. And it's through God's word that he sanctifies us. It's, it's no other way. And, and so I lived the Christian life for a long time without being sanctified. Until I could drive myself, got my license, started going to church, had a couple lay volunteers. One guy, remember, he was a little Debbie truck driver. So as you can guess, every week for Sunday school, you know what we had? Little Debbies. Um, and so, you know, he's just a little Debbie truck driver. The other guy, our, our other Sunday school teacher, and this was at a big church, he was just a pizza delivery guy, and we didn't have a youth pastor. And so, that, but what they did is they poured God's word into my life. We met at 8 o'clock. I mean, not at 8 o'clock, at 6 o'clock before our 8 o'clock service on Sunday mornings. And all we did is we worked on scripture memory together. That's all we did um, at that time. And then they taught throughout the week. We did various things. And through that, that radically changed my life. I understood sanctification and God began to sanctify me. And so this morning, we're going to deal with this topic of knowing the Bible and And my main goal for you this morning is just to leave and for you to understand that God's revelation through his word is the divine speech. It is supreme. It is, of all the voices you could hear in the world, it is the one that stands out at the top that you need to listen to. 
Um, apart from it, if you're a believer in here, you will not be sanctified. Um, and if you are, it'll be very stunted through vicariously other people reading God's word and kind of like, you know, the baby bird this is kind of a gross illustration. You know, the mom chews it up and then like throws it up into the baby's mouth. Like that's kind of gross. Yeah. But that's um, what could happen. Um, but anyways, so that's my testimony. And so as, as we begin, I want to just pray for us, pray for our time together that it would be uh, beneficial and that the Lord would use this for his glory. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this morning, again, we come and we, um, we magnify you, we lift you high, that you are the God of the universe, that you have created all things, and because of that, you are worthy of our praise. But God, in our sinfulness, in our debased minds, in our hard hearts, we can look out at your beautiful creation and still have hard hearts and still turn to creation and worship it instead of you. But God, as we will see this morning through your words, through your revelation, through the Bible, God, you have given a means to draw us unto salvation through the power of the Spirit working through it, and then also to be sanctified. We thank you that your word is completely sufficient for all things, and we believe that. Uh, As an adult, I stand on that to to teach these young ones how to live in in a generation that I didn't live in and to do the teenage years when I was not a teenager. But we stand on the sufficiency of your word for them today. And so would you you just lift high your word? Would you draw people to um, crave and desire your word more um, through this time? And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we begin, I got a couple questions for you. Number one. Um, If you had a choice um, between taking a major melon, which is my new favorite Mountain Dew flavor, um, it surpassed Baja Blast. Does anybody in here like Mountain Dew? Yeah? What's your favorite flavor? flavor? Uh, Shout it out. Baja Blast, absolutely. Yeah. Huh? What else? Just regular? Yeah. Okay. So you have an option. You can take a major melon, which you may not like it, whatever, Um, or... Takis, this is another like kind of popular thing. I don't know if you guys eat it, but it's like all like our our whole youth group like lives on this stuff. And I ate one, I was like, oh, these are gross. Um, but they love them. Okay, this is what is this? This is fuego, which on the the hot scale. Well, this one doesn't have the hot scale on it. Anyways, oh yeah, there it is. This is extreme, okay, on the hot scale. So, anyways. Anybody in here big major melon fans? Would you choose a major melon? Oh, yeah, you would? Okay. Just wait. Anybody, would you pick the Taki? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to go for most excited. Anybody in here want this major melon? Well, let me hear you do something. Okay. I just want to throw it far. So, okay. Girl right there. What's your name? Dharma. Dharma. Okay. Can you catch? Okay. We'll see if you can. All right, here we go. We're going all the way in the back. So don't open this right away, right? We obviously know what's going to happen. Everybody guard your faces. Yeah. Oh, but nobody got hurt in the making of this. So, okay, Takis, anybody? Okay, I like it. I'm going to go right here. You can share with a friend if you want. Oh, but I got another major melon. Anybody? Nice. Nice, yeah. Hey, don't worry. It happens to everybody. Anyways. Um, now, what if I said, okay, you have those two options, but 
Um, I'm going to give you a third option too now. And I, what if I offered you money? Would you then, would it change your decision? Would you say, hmm, depending on how much? Okay, well, what if I, hold on, I got some money here. Can you hear it? What if I offered you this nice, shiny quarter, this 25-cent piece? You would take the quarter. You would take the quarter. Okay, well, let me put that quarter back down. Some people said that they wouldn't, but let me, let me pull this up here. Can you see that? 2022, this is a coin book. tells you how much coins are worth. Let me flip to this one here. What if I told you that this quarter was an 1823 quarter, only 17,000 minted, and in the worst condition, this one's nice and shiny, in the worst condition, it's worth $17,000. Would that change your mind? Okay. In the best condition, now this is not one, okay, of course, because I couldn't get my hands on one, nor did I have the funds. In the best condition, $150,000. Can you believe that? But to, the, to you and I, we, I mean, if it was a 25-cent piece, we might be able to see that it's, oh, this is an old one, but it probably would be rubbed off anyways. We might see it, and we would just... Go on by. Because here is, my, here is the point. We need this book to tell us how much this is worth. Okay? So we need the book. And as you are going to walk through the Christian life, if you are going to be successful, if you're going to honor and glorify God, if you're going to do that as a teenager, an, a young adult, an older adult, you need the book. You need the book. Our, our theme for camp has is, is been uh, Life is Short. Therefore, Lord, teach us to number our days, Psalm 90, verse 12. And it's a consideration of how we live our life in light of the fact that it's, it's brief. It's a breath, as we learn from Ecclesiastes, Havel. It is short, and, and really the, the, the brevity of it, and that we can't stop it, that it's coming. It's sobering because of Hebrews 9.27. Hebrews 9.27 tells us it's appointed once for man to die and then face judgment. And so this is sobering that life is short, that it's coming, that it's like on a, we're on a freight train, nothing will stop it, heading towards death, but then that we're going to stand before the Lord in judgment, and that is what brings sobriety to this. And so we cry out to God like the, the psalmist did there. God, help us. Help us to number our days. Help us to make every day count. It's what Jesus taught in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, to store up your treasures in heaven. This is exactly the same thing. And the primary way that God helps us do this is through his word. This is what Jesus taught, right? That, that the, the wise man builds his house on the rock. Well, that, that rock that he's talking about there are his words, God's word. But here's a, a reality, is that the wisdom of God is hidden from the wisdom of man. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is foolishness to the wisdom of this world. And so we need God, we need God to reveal himself to us, to, to give us his wisdom. Listen to Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God had done from the beginning to the end. 
And so we see in Ecclesiastes that God made us, designed us to have eternity in our heart, a longing for that relationship with God. We were made in his image, but he made us in a way that we cannot find it on our own. His wisdom is hidden from the wisdom of man. So again, I say he needs to reveal himself to us. He needs to give us his wisdom. And so we need his book. We need God's word in our life. We need to know it as we walk as Christians. So my goal, I want to give us three, three goals that I want to accomplish this morning. Number one is I want to convince you that apart from God's word in your life, you will not be able to number your days. You will not be able to do what the entire theme of this camp is if you do not have God's word in your life. You will not be able to store up treasures in heaven, and you will not be able to live the Christian life successfully. Secondly, I want us to just walk through Psalm 19 together. We're going to briefly do that and just see how David elevates God's word as the supreme divine speech. And then I want to close just by giving you some really practical ways that you can read your Bible so that you can know it and apply it a little better. And, they'll, and I'll give you a heads up. They're really simple and they're based off of um, some, some of my own experiences. And so let's begin though. Let's turn our attention to Psalm 19. So if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Psalm 19 and let's look at this together. As you're turning there, C.S. Lewis, many of you know who he is. He wrote Chronicles of Narnia, various other things. He said of this psalm, he said, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. So C.S. Lewis, a poet in his own right, a great, a great author, he looks at Psalm 19 and he says, this is the absolute best piece of poetry I've ever read in the world. And no doubt every psalm is beautiful and it's absolutely a masterpiece of poetry because it's penned by the hand of God. But Psalm 19 is really important for us this morning. It really informs us about the topic of reading and knowing God's word. Psalm 19, let me just give you a little bit about it. Psalm 19 is, it's a praise of God's glorious work in creation and then also in his words. So these two ways that God has communicated through creation and through his words, we, we typically talk about these as general revelation. That is um, creation because it's general. Everybody can see it. Everybody's a part of it. And then special or specific revelation, which is God's word. Spurgeon referred to these two areas as the world book and the word book both authored by God. Now, in Psalm 19, we're going to see that both are depicted as glorious. Creation, God's work in creation and his words, they're both glorious. They're both speaking. They both reveal the power and perfections of God and both deserve our adoration. Yet only one, only one of the two can expose sin and change a person. Only one of the two. Only one brings great blessing to men. Only one has a direct impact on the spiritual condition of man. And only one has power to sanctify and transform. And so if there's only one, we better get it right. 
It's, it's so vital for us to get it right that there's only one way that God has communicated that brings about salvation and sanctification in his people. And David clearly elevates God's word as this divine, supreme speech. So we're going to just walk through this together, Psalm 19. I'm going to break it into three um, sections. It's really two, but I'm going to break the second section into, into, into two. So first we see verses one through six. Let's read those together. And this we're going to look at the glory of God's creation. It says this in verse one, the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. And so we see in these first six verses here, David celebrates God's work in creation. And he stands in wonder at the heavens. Look at that in verse one. The heavens, what is he talking about there? He's talking about everything out there, every outer space, you know, we're, we're, David was fascinated with it in his time, and we still are, right? We still, people are producing movies, and we think about space. And, you know, when I was young, it was Star Trek, you know, the original Star Trek. Um, well, the original was a little bit before me, the one on TV that was in the 60s, I think, that came, first came out. I'm not that old. Um, but, you know, the, the Star Trek movies, and, and then you had Star Wars, and all these are fascinated with outer space. And, and David was, too. And he, and he looks out at the universe and the heavens and he sees the sheer expanse of them. And, he, and it's amazing and it's mysterious. The sun, the moon, and the stars. And I, I serve in, in just outside of Denver. And so I don't know if some of you are from L.A. or a big city. But when I go outside and look up out of my house, you know what I see? Nothing at night. <laughs> In the middle of the night, you can go out at 12, and there's like three stars in the sky, you know, like, because that's all, because of all of the lights from the city and probably pollution and all that kind of stuff. But, but here, have you guys paused yet here? Yes. It's amazing. I, I, like, the first time we were at Glorietta, and we were just, and I stopped, and I looked up, and I'm like, whoa, there's stars. There's more than three. <laughs> there's, I mean, you can almost see them all, and, and there's, you know, we can only see just a small portion of them, right? There are millions of stars, and, and, and it's just this vast expanse, and it's complex. And, you know, we've only understood even further than David how complex it is. Right? We, had, we sent the Hubble telescope up, and we've been able to see other galaxies. I mean, the, our planet is but a speck in the universe. And, uh, you know, the Hubble, they, they're building another one that's supposed to go further than the Hubble. Um, all, all the, the, all the light gathering panels are made of like 24 karat gold, all this kind of stuff. It's, it's just really fascinating, but it's supposed to gather more 
pictures, but as of right now, the farthest we can see is galaxy GNZ11, supposedly. And it is 13.4 billion light years away. Billion light years. Let me put that into kilometers, because, you know, we're European. Um, 134 with 30 zeros after it, kilometers away. Okay, it's, it's unbelievable how big the galaxy is, the, the sheer expanse of it. And, and what David is saying is that as he looks out into the universe, it's, it's saying something about God. It's, it's declaring, it's telling of his glory. And it's pouring out speech, as we'll see in just a moment. And, and as we sit in this creation, look at verse 4. It says, their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. As we sit underneath the the galaxy and the stars and the moon and and the sun, is that everybody sees that. That line has gone out to all of the earth. Everybody sees this. And and the, the galaxy, you know, David talks about it just being a tent for the sun. It's like it's home. And it it rises promptly each day, as he said there, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. That's kind of the imagery, right? As the the bridegroom comes out to meet uh, meet his bride. It's exciting. You know, it comes out promptly. He's ready. I mean, the sun comes up every day like that. It moves across the sky. It's unstoppable. It's like that strong man he mentions in verse 5, running his course. And it goes and it's across the sky. Everybody sees it and no one is hidden from its light or its heat. And, and all of this, look, look back at the verses with me. It's, it's telling, verse one. It's declaring, verse one. It's pouring forth speech, verse two, revealing knowledge in verse two. But then it says in verse three, right? There is no speech. It's, it's saying it's not using words. It's by the fact that it's so massive and that it's so complex it's telling us about God. It, it has utterances. And so we see this, that, that God's creation is speaking. It's declaring his glory. It's telling us about him. And everybody has seen it. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Let me read that to you really quick. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. We've all seen God's handiwork in creation and his glory. And no one is without excuse. But then in the psalm, David moves on, verse 7. Let's read verses 7 through 10 together. And now he's going to focus in on God's glory in his word. And it's beautiful What he's going to do in verses 7 through 9 is he's going to give six synonyms, but they're just a little different about God's word. Um, It's As other mentors have uh, talked to me and helped me understand it, it's like holding a diamond up to light. And as you turn it, you you look at the various sides of it, and as you turn it, it reflects the light a little different, and and it's beautiful as you turn it and you examine it from all various sides. And this is exactly what David does with God's word. He gives us six titles, six characteristics, and six 
effects of God's word. And these are all, they're, 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 they're powerful, they're sufficient in the life of the person who keeps them, who keeps them. Let's look at verse 7. First of all, he says, the law of the Lord is perfect. And it is restoring the, restoring the soul. So the law of the Lord, they're speaking of law, God's instructions, Torah. It's perfect. It lacks nothing. That's really what that, that word there means, is that it's complete. And then it restores the soul. And another way to translate that is that it converts the soul. It converts people. So God's law, it's perfect. It lacks nothing. And it, it brings about salvation. It converts the soul. Look at verse Seven, the second half. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So the testimony, this is speaking and kind of having a nuance of its witness about God and his work throughout time. It's sure. His word is, is sure. It's battle-tested, and it makes simple people, which is uh, really those that lack wisdom. It brings wisdom into their lives. Verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Precepts here speaking of the doctrines that we find in God's word. They are, they are right. Another way to look at that is they're straight. They don't veer in any way. They're straight. And they bring joy to the heart. So as we study God's word and we put it into our lives, it, it, it brings joy to our hearts. Look at the second half of eight. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So commandment being directives, the directives of the Lord, they, they, are, they are pure. That means they're empty of blemish and they enlighten the eyes. They, they help us to see, as we'll see in just a minute. We'll see reality, see who we are, see how to live. Verse nine, two more. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Fear here has a connotation to worship. And then clean, ceremonial clean. And so th- that, this is the aspect that David's highlighting here, the centrality of God's word in worship, and it endures forever. God's word is still the central centerpiece to Christian worship. And then verse 9, the second half, the judgments of the Lord are true, they are righteous altogether. The decisions that God makes, his legal decisions they're true, that they're consistent, they're, they're always the same, they're always right. And the collection of all of his, all of the, the choices that God has made, they're, they're righteous all together. And so David, he just celebrates God's word. He just goes on this rant for, for three verses. But I want you to notice something that happens different between verse 1 and what we just read. Look back at verse 1. It says, the heavens are telling of the glory of, what does it say there? God. Can you spell that for me? G-O-D, yeah, capital G-O-D. When in the Old Testament we, we see God like this, it's typically translated from the generic Hebrew word for God, El. And that's exactly what we have here, El. Okay, all right, track with me. Now look at verse seven with me. The law of the, spell that for me. 
Yeah, but what you yeah, tell t- capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. What does that mean? Yahweh. Very good. So here, whenever you see in your Bible, capital L O R D, it is translated from the word Yahweh, which is the name, right, that God shared with Moses on Sinai to tell the people, I am. It's a derivative of I am, as um, Josh has mentioned already. But it was also the importance of it is it's the covenant name of God with his people. Is that this name was the name that he revealed to his people to signify that they were going to be in relationship together. He was going to reveal himself. So, so notice we go from the generic L in verses 1 through 6 to Yahweh. And, and you, as a great Bible scholar, recognize that in this room. You recognize, somebody has taught you well about um, what that means when it's all caps for Lord. And, um, you know, when you see God there, it's, it's usually a generic word for God. And so David here, he's kind of showing his hand a little bit. He's, he's guiding our thinking that we're moving from general, generic things that everybody sees to now specific and special revelation from God, his word. And he does that through simply changing the name that he refers to God in. Now also notice there's a difference between verses 1 through 6 and verses 7 through 9. And the most significant thing that we see there is that all of these aspects of God's word, they have an effect on people. It has an impact on them. Right, We look back and we read verses 1 through 6, and it was all this stuff that, 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 that the creation, it reveals knowledge about God, and we can see how wonderful he is, etc. But it doesn't restore the soul. It doesn't make wise the simple. I mean, that's, you can just look out in our culture today and understand that, that a deep understanding of creation does not make you wise. right? Because some of the smartest people on planet Earth are scientists that study creation and they reject God. They are foolish in their thinking. They, they come up with foolish ideas, like really silly, right? That we evolved from ooze. There was a big bang, um, various things like that where they could never verify um, things. Evolution, um, which is, evolution is waning a little bit. When I was young, when I was your age, oh man, it was just the answer to everything. Christians were just, scrambling, and even putting evolution into Genesis chapter 1. But here we see that it is God's word that has these effects on people. It's God's word that, that converts and brings wisdom and joy and understanding, endurance and righteousness. And this is David's point. He's He's bringing the, the congregation to worship God, worship him for creation, but then to worship him supremely for his word, because it's through his word that salvation has come and sanctification as well. So this is why David says, look with me at verse 10. It says, they are more desirable than gold. This is speaking of God's word. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the drippings of the honeycomb. David is simply saying here that The reason that God's word is worth more than any of the riches this world could offer, the choicest food we could have, you know, we could eat Takis forever and drink Major Melon, but 
It wouldn't be as good. I know some of you are questioning that. It wouldn't be as good as God's word. And, and, and this is what he's bringing us to, is that because God's word is the thing that transforms our lives, brings dead sinners, and through the power of the Spirit working through it, makes us alive and brings us to salvation. Then also, it's how we are sanctified. And so this is why you and I, as this is my plea with you, that you need God's word in your life. You need to be reading it and knowing it, because apart from it, you will A, not be saved, and then number two is that you won't be growing. And I'm, I'm assuming that a lot of you in here are, are Christians, um, but I know that there are probably some in here that are not. And I still plead with you, even if you're not a Christian, read God's Word. Put it into your life. Test it and see how God will use it in your life. But one final section in this, 11 through 14. He says, moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I believe that verse 11 is the theme verse of this, and we get now to the impact of God's word. So we have God's glory in creation, God's glory in his word, all the things that it does, but then the impact that it has on believers. In verse 11, it says, Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. That is the theme of this last little section. It's the theme of the whole psalm, is that, God's word is excellent because it warns us, it illuminates our sin. It it warns us of the things that are even hidden to us. And in it, there is great reward because it does that. Because it's life transforming. And so let's look at those just really quick. Verse 12, he says, who can discern his errors? You know, this is kind of the, the Jeremiah 17, 9, that that, that our hearts are wicked, that, that who can understand them, that we can deceive ourselves, that, that we can live in sin and justify it and, and curb our conscience to a point where we even justify sin. But God's word, it discerns our errors. It makes clear what is right and wrong. It, it, it shows, it reveals hidden faults that we have. It grows us. And then with this, impact of God's word. It it warns us, again, of all of these things. But also, not only does it warn us, not only does it just simply expose it, but through the Spirit using it, it is living and active to transform your life. That's exactly what Hebrews 4.12 tells us, that God's word is is living and breathing. It's active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's, It's able to pierce into your heart. This is what God's word does. And so we see it exposes, but it also sanctifies us. Also, Romans 12, 2 is a significant verse for you to memorize. And this is where we we talk about our minds being transformed um, through, through the renewing of our mind, okay? Through God's word, we are transformed. We are sanctified. Now, again, how does this take place? 
primarily through reading, understanding, and applying God's word into your life. Doing exactly what Ezra said in Ezra 7.10, where he wanted to know God's word and apply it into his life. And then in the last verse there, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David, no doubt, is talking about having God's word infused into his life, that it's, it's on his lips, he talks about it, that it is, it is meditated on his, in his heart. It's the Psalm 119.11. You know, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so this is David's point here. And this is what the congregation would be led to, is that they're, they're led to this. Let's let God's word saturate our lives. Let it, let it be pumping through our veins that we might live pleasing lives to the Lord. And so as we think of all of this, Psalm 19, and we put it together, we should stand in awe of God's creation. It's wonderful, is it not? I mean, all of you in here are God's creation. God knit you together in your mother's womb, and you're all amazing feats of creation. And as we look out at the the universe, it's amazing, and we should stand in awe of that. But we should remember the excellency of God's word and the importance of it in our lives. The things that that can't do and that the word of God alone can do. So for you to know God as your rock and your redeemer, you need the book. For you to live a life acceptable to God, you need the book. If you're going to stand as a teenager in a lost and sinful world, I mean, it is, it is bonkers the time we live in, the, the, the things that people are putting out there and the, the ideologies, right? If you're going to stand in that, again, you need the book. I mean, even as we went through COVID and all of this stuff, we needed the book. We needed to be reminded, despite all of the tragedy or whatever was going on, we needed to understand the simple understanding of ecclesia, gathering together. I mean, we had to understand that. We, had, we needed God's word to remind us. We needed the book. If, it's gonna be, if God's word is going to be on your lips and it's going to be pumping through your veins, you need the book. Life is short. We're not promised tomorrow. Read the book. Read God's word because, as verse 11 tells us, in it, there is great reward for those who obey it. Well, I hope that that has instilled in you, or maybe refreshed, or for the first time, helped you understand the importance of God's word. Now, what I want to do is shift into some real practical things. And look, don't make fun of me, at least to my face, okay? You can make fun of me behind my back about how simple these things are. Because I grew up in a day, some of you more mature people in the room will remember that like, when I was younger, the fad was devotionals. It was devotionals, popcorn devotionals. You, didn't, you know, like um, you just would pick up this thing, you'd open it up and it'd be like Tuesday... And it would tell you a verse to read, and then some guy would tell, or lady, I wasn't the reading the ladies, but you know, for you ladies, um, some guy or lady would tell you all about that verse. And that's what I grew up on. I mean, it was just, that's what everybody did. But I think that it's not a very good way for you to read and know God's word. I think it's a really bad way, which is evidenced, I think, by some of the, the craziness of my generation um, in their theology. So let me give you some simple ways. It's really simple. Do you guys like simple or do you like complex? Simple. Okay, good. 
You're with me. We're, we're, we're on the same page. I like simple things, okay? You know, like when I go to the fast food restaurant, just give me the number, okay? Number four. I mean, I'm simple. And my wife is like, oh, I don't know. Can I substitute that for this? And I'm like, just pick the number. Tell me what number. But, you know, people are different. But I like simple. So here we go. Number one, I'm going to give you four of them. Number one is have a plan, okay? Have a plan. I don't want to be trite, but I will. Um, you, you don't have a plan, right? You, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Okay, yes. So have a plan. And I, there are a lot of reading plans you can have. You can have the John MacArthur read through the Bible in a year. You can have the Robert Murray McShane read through the Bible in a year. Um, there are millions of apps, all of you with your phones. You can pull up an app. There's a Bible reading apps that you can do. So have a plan. Have a plan to read through the Bible cover to cover because that's the second thing that's so simple, but it's radically helped me, is I read left to right. Have you guys thought about that? Does anybody in here not read left to right? Don't, if you're Hebrew, okay, you know, Hebrew scholars in here, they obviously read um, right to left. But we read left to right. I read start to finish. And it was so, it's really helpful just to have that simple plan in place. Okay, I want to read through the Bible in X amount of time. Okay, left to right, verse by verse, start to finish. Okay, so popcorn devotionals, let's throw them out and let's walk through the Bible. Either we, you can do it through a, a more complex one, like the MacArthur one in, in McShane, where it's in a year, or you can space it out. For me, again, and this hopefully, make fun of me, not to my face. Shows a little bit, I guess, maybe. But the read through the Bible in a year is just a, not a reality for me. It's too difficult with preparing sermons and preaching and everything else. So, and I've also found with our students, it's really hard for them to keep up with the one, one year. So what we do is we do it in three years. We do the chronological Old Testament. Then we do all the writings, like the poetry, etc., minor prophets, one year. And then we read the New Testament in a year. So that's what we do. So every three years, we have read as a youth group and myself read through the Bible, okay? Front to back, left to right, verse by verse, start to finish, okay? Really simple, have a plan, okay? Let me give you one other little tip that you can do. This is really helpful. I think this will be some of the most benefit you'll get. You all have probably in here even, you have a youth pastor that probably, I'm gonna guess, teaches verse by verse, expositionally through books of the Bible. I'm assuming that, okay? When your youth pastor does do that, why not read along with him, right? Like when you're gonna study Romans for like a year, why don't you take some time and read through or read along with your youth pastor as he teaches that book? That would help you, okay? Um, So you could just take off of their plan, um, and read along with them. I had just briefly, I, I was hoping that um, Austin would teach on Ecclesiastes when he was, when we came. Um, so for my kids, I said, I want you to read Ecclesiastes, okay, devotionally while we're here. So they read the first two chapters before he taught. When he taught, so then when he taught, they were like, oh, dude, yeah. Like I was so tracking and we had got the same things. And it was really beneficial. Not only did they just read the Bible, but it, I feel like they knew it better because they had a complement of the preaching with it. Okay, simple, simple stuff. 
we used to do it wrong, but when I was younger, we would have these little, like, Sunday school books. You guys remember those when we were younger? Yeah. They don't do them. I don't even know if they're still popular. But we, would, we were supposed to read our Sunday school book before we came into Sunday school. Well, this is even better, just reading through what your pastor will be preaching. Okay, secondly, you need to pray. Um, this is just an excellent habit for you to have. You pray before you read your Bible, and you pray after you read your Bible. You pray before you read your Bible because this isn't simply an intellectual exercise. This isn't simply go to the pantry and decide, well, today I want a Taki. Maybe tomorrow I'll eat a little Debbie. Maybe I'll get a Funyun out of there. I don't know. You know, it's just whatever I want, whatever I'm feeling. That's not how it works with God's word. Remember, God's wisdom is hidden from the wisdom of man. You go at this on your own, you're going to get it wrong. You're going to be the person out there that says, oh, yeah, judge not lest you be judged. Don't judge me for my sin. You know, if you go at it at your, on your own, you'll, you'll justify, I mean, the movements that we have in our culture today. You'll justify LGBTQ+. You'll justify all kinds of things, okay? Going at it on your own. You need to pray and ask that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, whose role and job is to reveal scripture and truth to us and to give us all that Jesus taught. You need to pray to him and ask him, help me see and understand what I'm reading rightly, okay? That is his job. That's what he does in the life of a believer or even as he works in an unbeliever, right? He is the one that does the work of regeneration. So pray. Then at the end, you need to pray as well. Really simple prayer, right? Lord, help me through the power of the Spirit to not only know what I just read, but now to do what? What do you think the next step is? Apply it, to live it out. You know, help me to do what I just read. And, and so that's why, you know, uh, I mean, for me, I always encourage my students, that's why you need to do your, your time, your devotional time, your time in the Word in the morning. I mean, what are you going to do? Like, you know, you you just read this like super impactful passage of like, you know, like talk about missions or something, you know, like you you read the Great Commission and you're just like so amped up and then you're like, okay, click the lights off, you know, set the alarm and you go to sleep, right? It's like you had this wonderful thing on your heart and then you just go to sleep. But I think that in the morning, right, you do it in the morning, you got this wonderful thing on your heart, well, then you can go do it. You can actually obey what God said. So you want to pray that he would help you do that. Thirdly, partner. You want to partner with people. It's so good, you, you know, to have an, somebody else. I mean, I would encourage you, if you, I'm assuming that you're in here because you either A, are not in God's word, but you want to be. B, you are sporadically in God's word, right? That you're not consistent at it. And then some of you, uh, you know, maybe you are consistent and you're like, I just want to get really, I want to get more um, out of my reading time. Well, well, one of the things is when you partner with somebody, get two or three people together, get on the same plan together so that you can gather together and you can talk about the things that you've read. Um, We do this um, in small groups after Wednesday night. I meet with like two or three uh, middle school guys. Tell me, you know, we're reading the same thing together. And I say, hey, give me a highlight from your reading this week. And what's helpful sometimes is that they will say something that is completely not in the text. Like something completely strange, like almost like 
we're from aliens or something. I'm like, how did you get that from that text? But so we get to sit and talk and I, hey, what do you guys think? Does that fit in that text? And a lot of guys are like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't fit. Um, And we've just agreed. That's what we're committed to doing. And so then we work together, right? It's a way to help us understand it and also to keep us from going into some crazy error in our thinking, okay? So partner with it. Accountability, they'll help you be consistent, et cetera. And then also, um, for those of you that are wanting to even go deeper, I would even say partner with theologians of the past. Um, You guys got your phones, you got your your computers. Is it when you're reading a text, whatever, you're going to go through Galatians and you're reading Galatians 1 is all you got to do, do a quick quick search. Let me just give you a couple that are really good. Obviously, you know, we have MacArthur, um, but if you're in the Old Testament, MacArthur doesn't have commentary for that. But, um, you know, so you can hit up MacArthur, just Google it, MacArthur Psalm 19, and it'll give you a commentary. But uh, let's say MacArthur, we want, you know, Calvin, Luther, um, you know, Puritans are great to study, you know, to see how they wrote. Um, and, uh, you know, Martin Lloyd-Jones did uh, a really extended commentary on Romans, etc. Talk to your youth pastor, and they'll give you probably some more on that. So partner even with theologians of the past. And then finally, as we close, um, this is probably not the best word, but percolate. Y'all know what percolate means? Let it simmer, let it ponder it, um, a guy in the last, you know, this is how simple I am, right? I was thinking so hard. I'm like, man, another P word. I want it to be all alliterated so it'll be perfect. See, another P word. Um, Percolate is all I could come up with. And the kid walks up and he goes, oh yeah, that was good. And ponder, yeah. And I'm like, ponder, that's it. That was so much easier than percolate. But so I'll stay with mine and he will be famous. Um, So anyways, so this simply means to meditate on God's word. Psalm 119, 11 again. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You need to memorize God's word. You know, have it in your heart, in your life. Again, as we close, the easiest way, I think, to have God's word um, saturate and percolate into your life is to read it left to right, front to back, verse by verse. You know, it's so much, I get so much more out of reading through Galatians chronologically, etc., and having, you know, reading my study Bible, you guys have study Bibles? Just reading a little bit about the author, date, occasion, and then reading through the book. I get so much more and it penetrates into my heart than if I would have randomly picked a verse out of it. Okay, so those are um, a few helps. There's many others and there's probably way more um, wise counsel there. But that's just what has worked for me, um, just keeping it really simple and doable and actively part of my life. So hopefully that was helpful for y'all. Um, I'm going to pray for us. You guys are now dismissed to go to lunch. Um, some of you are probably so hungry right now um, and hot. This is a little hot in the room, but let me pray for us and then we'll go. Thank you for coming. Um, and um, we'll, we'll see you for the next couple of days too. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in such a way that we can be drawn unto salvation Um, through the power of your spirit working through your word and that we can be sanctified. And I just pray for these students that they would understand clearly how important God's word is for their daily lives and to be reading it, to be knowing it and applying it. And Lord, as they face whatever they face, um, ideologies of this world that they would always have in their mind, the answer is, I need the book. 
I need to turn to God's word to know exactly how to think about this and how to respond to it rightly. And so would you just do that, Father, for your glory, for your fame, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.